Welcome to Generations Church. We've been going here 24 years. I don't think we, we may have visited one other church, and then we came here and like, well, this is, this is where we belong. So uh, I just encourage you, if you're not a member anywhere, just uh, seek the Lord and see if uh, this is where he would place you. And if so, then uh, you'll be really blessed. Um, a lot of people feel the same way we do. I'm encouraged every time I come. Like JP was saying, you're... Uh, Bring your kids to church. I was the same way. I went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, it didn't matter the weather, whatever. We were going to church. And uh, I can reflect back on so many things I learned that at the time I don't think I even realized that it was sinking in. But I still can recall some of the little lessons I heard when I was in school. And uh, So let me jump into this lesson. The title of my lesson is Hide and Seek. So... Let's open with prayer and I'll jump into it. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your word and the power and the truth that's in it. I pray, Father, that if there's anything I say that is not of you, that it would fall to the ground and, down, ground and die. And anything I speak that is of you, from you, Father, I pray that it would take root in the ears of those who have ears to hear and bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, some of you know me uh, better than others, but uh, the ones that do know us know our family has just kind of exploded in the last few years. I have four children, and we're blessed to have eight grandchildren, and some of them have come along very quickly and really close together recently. Um, of the eight, this is the oldest uh, grandchild we have. My oldest son, Wes, who will turn 40 this summer, has two children, and so Cameron is his 18-year-old uh, daughter. And then he has a little girl, Landy, who is seven. Pray I get these ages right. Then my uh, next oldest son, Brian, who will be 38 this summer, he has three boys, Jackson, and there's Cutler on his fifth birthday. And then in April of this year, this little guy, Kingston, joined us. Then my oldest daughter, who will be 30 this summer, has a little girl, a little over six months old, Lila. She's in the nursery. Um, and then they have a three-year-old boy who, uh, huh? Oh, oh, that's right, right. And uh, so then my youngest daughter, Taylor, and Jay have the little three-year-old that was throwing his puppy up in the air that got taken out a few minutes ago. And uh, then they have this little guy, Hugh. So uh, all of them are such a blessing, and they all have one thing in common. Some of them don't know it yet, but what they have in common is that I'm their favorite. <laughs> Papa rules. And uh, there's good reasons why. I think the main one is that uh, I can get down on their level and make up games and play with them, right? So, hey, they love to play games with Papa. And I've made quite a few unusual games up through the years. There's the sock grenade game, there's the broom game, which I'll talk about later, and then the most recent game is Fire Fire. <laughs> it's a very complicated game. I'll run over it with you really quickly. The number of props, you have to have a lawn chair, you have to have a little tight slide, uh, you need a little toy, you need a monkey, and you need a, you need a little toy car, you need a monkey, and you need a cell phone, and uh, then you need a little tight kitchen that has a mailbox on it. So the way the game begins, Papa's in the kitchen. The kitchen is right in a raging fire. 
the uh, three-year-old uh, fireman is asleep in the lawn chair. So I awaken him by yelling, fire, fire, and he springs into action. He grabs his cell phone, his monkey, and his little car, and he races to the slide where he calls 911 and yells, help, help. He pushes the slide, the phone down the slide, the monkey goes down the slide, and then the car, and then the fireman goes down after it. Of course, the car is there to help drive them to the scene, but the monkey goes along for company. We get to the raging kitchen fire, and uh, the monkey climbs up the kitchen wall to pull the mailbox open where there is a key disguised as a six-inch hard yellow plastic carrot. The carrot unlocks the door to the kitchen, and Papa is rescued. Yeah, great game. I'm only here today because of that carrot. And then we do it again, and again, and again. On a really fortunate day, I get to be the fireman. Uh, but lots of rules, lots of fun, and uh, you see this picture of Gavin and his uh, little brother, Hugh. I think Gavin's probably trying to teach him the fire-fire game at this point. One final note on that, it's very important that when you have a game like this, it's all these rules that you tell the parents what the rules are. Otherwise, they're going to call you at some point and say, so what's the deal with the carrot? He's upset. I don't know how to use a carrot. So just keep that in mind. You need to give all the rules to the parents when you leave. So lots of rules of that game, right? And some people would say there's lots of rules to the game of life. And you could refer to life as being a game in the sense that there are rules that we follow or should follow as we go through life. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw away everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The race marked out for us. Let us throw away everything that hinders us so we can run the race. And to win at any game, and to win at the game of life, it's very important that you know the rules, uh, particularly the ones that are most important, right? So, and as a believer, my belief is that the scripture is our rule book, right? I know people that uh, proclaim to be Christians, but, you know, really the way they go about making decisions on how they live their life is just based on how they feel. If there's a scripture that doesn't support their belief system, then, you know, that, that can just be torn out and thrown away. The scripture's there as it says. It's inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right so that the servant of the God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the most important rule, I play golf, and I am not good. I am not a good golfer. I, attempted to take lessons one time, and I found it very confusing. It's like you have to stand this way, hold the club this way, you have to do this, you have to do that, you can't, your shoulders have to be as, I mean, there, it, there's just a lot to remember. And at some point, the guy gave up and said, look, if you can only remember one thing, it's this, keep your eye on the ball. So he broke it all down to just, not that 
it's helped me be a good golfer, but he did try to simplify it, right? So in Mark chapter 12, uh, a number of the religious people have come to Jesus, and they've cornered him, and they're going to trick him. They're going to expose him into uh, showing that he's not who he says he is. And so one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating what they heard them debating was the religious people asking Jesus questions like, should you pay taxes to Caesar? Are they asking questions like, so when a man who's been married to a number of women dies, who's he going to be married to when he gets to heaven? Uh, and Jesus just dismissed them with very simple answers. And so this guy comes along and says, of all the commandments, which is most important? So breaking it down. The most important, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. When you look at all the commandments, if you want to call them rules that are in the Bible, they can all boil down to this. If you can love, the God, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, everything will fall in place for you. Can I get an amen? amen? So God's a good father, and I think that's how he wants to see us. He wants us to see us as not only his Lord and as only being our God, but as being our father. And when we have a relationship with God, this scripture that's most important, that you love the God with all your heart. It's not a difficult uh, commandment to follow. Uh, Jesus boils down this scripture in the, using something that's really kind of a ridiculous illustration and says, if, he, if the son asks for bread, would we give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Well, clearly a good father would not do that. So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophet. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him, who ask him, who seek him? Now we know what the great fall was all about, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that, but you know, as the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and they sinned. And that fall, as it's called, is they fell out of communion with God. Sin separated them from God. So much so that they hid from God. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees and the garden. Can you hide from God? The scripture says, God sees everything. How do you think the conversation went between Adam and Eve when they're hiding from God with their fig leaves, crouched, crouched behind the fig tree? Oh, here he comes. You think he can see us? Hey, duck down a little lower. I think he can see your head. I mean, really, it sounds ridiculous, right? But even as you nodded your head when I said we can't hide from God, can we? Do we try to hide from God? Some people are better at hiding than others. Uh, one, two, three. 
I see a foot. <laughs> I found ten. Ready or not, here I come. Ten. I found you. All right, I'm gonna count. Go hide. One, two, three, four, five. Find her. Where could she be hiding? Is she behind the door? No. I'm gonna find you. Where are you? Where are you hiding? <laughs> you found me! It's <laughs> your turn. Okay, I'll count to ten. Now, if I play hide and seek with my grandkids, the ones that are really young, they hide about as good as those kids do. But if I, I played hide-and-seek with my 18-year-old granddaughter, and that's how she hid, I would think that's pretty foolish, right? I mean, she should know better that I can't see her standing behind a stick. But do we hide from God? Do we try to hide from God? I did a survey, albeit it, I admit it's small, 35 people friends, co-workers, family members, and I, I sent them a text. And it went something like this. I know it's foolish to think we can hide from God, but if you think people do hide things from God, tell me two things you think they hide. So I came up with this long list. The, the, the uh, responses were very thoughtful for the most part. And... Uh, very insightful. Some One person said, you know what I found out trying to do this is just really convicting because <laughs> I find myself wanting to list things that I don't want to admit that I'm trying to hide. And uh, I know when I did the exercise, I, that's how I felt, just like how foolish that I think, yeah, I am hiding that, right? I must be hiding it because I know I have it, but I haven't done anything about it. Uh, so th the long list, I I took it and tried to categorize it because there's no way I can speak on all of them. I will show most of them, but I broke them down into three categories. And they were our things, our feelings, and our sins. So let's spend just a little bit of time about talking about these different categories. So hiding our things, the, the two things that, that were brought, uh, sent to me that I classified as things were our money, and our gifts, and our talents. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not store up yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the good part. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, contrary to what you might hear some TV evangelists say, God does not need your money. I mean, who, who created gold and silver and diamonds, precious gems? God created all that. So he thinks he, he needs your U.S. currency? He doesn't, but what he does need is your heart. And in the wisdom of God, so where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So I would challenge you to think about what do you do with your money? Are you giving back to God a portion of what he has given you? I think the scripture, and this is, I'm not charging you guys with this, but I think the scripture supports tithing. I think if you read through the scripture, through the Old Testament, and then in the dispensation in which we live under, in the New Testament, it talks about tithing. So pray about it, think about it. I've heard the expression, you can't outgive God, and, and there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I, I love so many things about our church, and I love that the money that we tithe here gets used wisely to spread the gospel. We spend a lot of money on missions. A lot goes to the obvious things you see in maintaining a building and playing a staff, but uh, pray about it. Think about it. Don't hide your money from God. Can I get amen? amen? Hiding our gifts and talents. First Peter 4.10, as each one has received the special gifts, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter speaking to the church, and he, as I understand this, says, hey, you all have a gift. You all have talents. You need to use that in serving other people. Be a good steward of what you've been given. <clears throat> Be careful about how I say this, because I don't want to offend anybody. If I didn't offend you over money, that's good. So that... <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to offend you over this, but um, let me start off by telling a story. So a story about a lady who had a neighbor that would come over to her house at mealtime consistently at dinner. Just knock on the door, come in, wouldn't say anything, sit down, eat the meal, get up and leave. Over and over she did this. So the, you know, the... The, the woman that was preparing all these meals was real frustrated, just didn't know what to do. So she came up with this idea. The next time the lady came over, she finished eating her meal. She reached over and took her plate, set it on the floor. The dog licked it clean. She held it up and looked at it and said, hmm, I couldn't do any better than that, and went over and put it up in the cabinet. The lady never came back. But you know, when you think about it, you come to the house of the Lord for lots of things, right? To praise, to fellowship, uh, to hear the word. There's scripture that talks about the word of God is food. So you come here to be fed. And I think if this is the house of the Lord that you have been placed in, that you should consider serving in it. And that service can consist of something as simple as greeting. It can consist of something as simple as, hey, getting up here early enough to help set up before the service. Or maybe help break down after the service. Or maybe pulling weeds out of the flower bed. I, I don't know. But if this is your home of worship, and you're not serving, and you're not using the gifts and talents that the God that, that we serve has given you, you should be using it. Amen? Because we need help. And really I'm speaking, speaking to men more than anything because when I look across all the people that serve in our church, there's lots of women that serve in our church. 
but there's a lacking of men that are stepping up and taking a role. I, I teach in the kids' church, and granted, I have a background of somewhat in speaking and teaching, but I guarantee you, if you just show up, Miss Laura will put you to work. And it is so simple and so rewarding. The same thing for the smaller kids. Working in the nursery, we need more nursery workers for sure. So pray about it. Okay, will you do that? Okay. Hiding our feelings. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He's telling you to put it away, to get rid of it. So the list of feelings that were on my survey, it's a long list, right? I'm not going to read through all of them, but some of them... Uh, didn't come to my to my my mind when I regularly when I was thinking about the list. Um, some of the things that I've heard Pastor Allen use the expression bitterness and anger and unforgiveness are the poison we mix for others, but drink ourselves. When we hold on to feelings and we don't turn them over to God, it's like drinking a poison. It, it's deadly. It can kill you spiritually. And in some cases, it can lead to physical, physical problems. Living a life full of anger and bitterness towards someone or something, even maybe toward God. I got a response from someone that one of the things they hid was their anger at God. I don't know the details behind that, but I understand how that happens when events in life occur and you're hurt. Some, you've got to blame somebody, right? Well, I'm going to blame God for it, which we know God's not responsible for it. In fact, he's the one that can help you deal with it. Hiding your feelings is, like I said, it's like a poison. Can you imagine drinking poison and then going to the doctor and telling him you're sick and he asks what's wrong and you won't tell him? I don't want to tell you. I mean, it's kind of like coming to church, right, and hearing a message like this, and you're dealing with some of these things, but mm -mm, I'm not going to confess that. I'm not going to repent of that. I'm going to hold on to that if it kills me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hide our pain. And I forgot to put one of them that was up there. We hide our sickness. So I believe in positive confession, and my wife was quick to instruct me when I was like, hey, don't confess. I, and I get that, I do. But I also believe that there's power in confessing a challenge that you have in your life. Um, so you come to church, or in your prayer time, you're dealing with what you know is an illness, and you don't say, Lord, please cure me of my breast cancer. I mean, you just call it out for what it is. Don't bury it down. Don't deny it. God is your healer. So look at those things up there. Are you dealing with any of those? Are you hiding some of those? Are you holding on to them? There's no need to do that. 
Cast your burden on the Lord. Cry out and the Lord hears you. Casting all your anxieties. The Lord is near. He's my fortress, my deliverer, my rock. He's my refuge. He's my shield. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. John 15, 4. When you hide your feelings and you hold on to them and refuse to let them go, it's almost like you're this branch that's been separated from the trunk because you can't bear fruit. You can't see the fruit of the Lord working in your life if you're holding on to feelings that are destructive. Amen? We hide our sins. This is a tough one. We hide our sins. The survey says lust, pornography, lies, greed, hate, stealing, addiction, selfishness, adultery, murder, meanness, profanity, laziness, fighting, disrespect, abortion. It was a long list. There's more than that. And these, this is what's sent to me. This is what I'm sharing with you. And, you know, some of those are hard to read. Uh, if some of you are confused that, wow, Jeff has a murderer in his family <laughs> or his friends. He runs around with a murderer. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, if you committed murder, hey, that's pretty plain. You took somebody's life. In the New Testament that we live under, if we are angry enough to want to murder somebody, then we've committed murder. In the Old Testament, to commit adultery, you had to have sex out of marriage. In the New Testament, you commit adultery if you lust after someone. That's a tough... Some people would think, well, that's tougher to live in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. Well, in the Old Testament, they didn't have a Savior, right? They couldn't run and repent. They had to kill animals and sacrifice. And Oh, man. I'm reading through the Bible and reading in the Old Testament. It's like, whoa, it's a lot of work to be a Jew. Uh, as Christians, yeah, we're, we are judged according to our actions and thoughts and deeds. But we have a Savior. And if we're quick to repent, we're forgiven for these things. Make sense? But... You can't really hide this stuff, right? Not from God. Uh, my wife and I are on the prayer team, and, and people call me for prayer sometimes. And Have you ever heard of the secret sin? Anybody heard of the secret sin? Nobody? I mean, people, yeah, I mean, people ask you to pray for them, and, just, and I, I usually say, what can I pray with you about? And I've actually had several people say, it's just for a secret sin. Like, well, <laughs> okay. I can, I'll, I'll pray that you can be delivered, but there's power in confession. I'll have a scripture in this in a second. And if you can't even voice the sin that you're dealing with, are you truly repentant of it? Or are you just, hey, I, you know, I'm going to hold on to it a little longer just calling out one of these, pornography, I mean, it's clearly that, I would think that's a secret sin as far as, I don't want anybody to know I'm into pornography, but it's around us everywhere. I mean, you, you can't, 
it's, it's just unbelievable. You can just stumble across pornography doing word searches on your computer. There's ways I know to, to uh, block that stuff. But I travel a lot. You go in a hotel room, you turn on the TV, oh, there's movies. I think I'll watch a movie. Oh, here's adult movies. Oh, and there's a note that says, the title will not show up on your bill. So you can rent this pornographic movie and nobody will ever know. It's a secret, right? Is it a secret? No, it's not a secret. I mean, pornography is so destructive to the fabric of our moral, morals in this country and in the world, for that matter. And it's so destructive to us spiritually. It's destructive to the people that are in that industry. Not to just hone in on this, but I think this, when I look at this, this just jumps out as something that oh, sin is so bad. It's so destructive in so many ways. And yet, we know we have sins and we hide them. We, we don't confess them. We want to hold on to them. For some, you know, the scripture says that God is a jealous God. And the reason he's jealous because what he has is so much better than what we choose sometimes, right? The Sex between a husband and wife is great. But to substitute pornography for that, that's the ugliness of taking something that God meant for good and turning it into evil. And you can just go down this list of things that people deal with. And in a lot of cases, they don't admit, and they hide it, and they hold on to it. Can I get an amen? I mean, none of us are purpose. perfect. We all fall. Here's a great example of a little guy that is, is struggling to... Uh... Good job, Nikki Jim! Good job, Nikki Jim! Good job, Nikki Jim! They let this kid do this over and over and over again. Unbelievable. Well, that's Hugh, and uh, he's, he's advanced a lot further than that. He's not falling like that anymore. But uh, so what do you do about your sins? These, maybe they're secret, you think. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we confess our sins. It's one thing to feel bad about our sin, but it's another thing to recognize that that sin separates us from that loving Father that has so much more for us than what we could do on our own. I have a concern and I know others do as well, that this message of the grace of God sometimes is taken so far that as Christians we feel empowered to sin and then ask for forgiveness and sin and ask for forgiveness and sin and ask for forgiveness. And I know that we fall and we get up and we fall and we get up. But it's one thing to just fall, but it's another thing to plan to fall, to know that this is a sin, but I'm choosing to do it. 
In 2 Peter, Peter says, and when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. How could that be? I've been a Christian, and I've walked away from God before, and I know what a miserable, miserable life that is, to try and live knowing the truth but not living according to it. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to it vomit, and another says a washed pig returns to mud. Living a life of knowingly sin, even if you think it's a secret and nobody knows, it's a dangerous life to live. It's a dangerous game to play. Can I get an amen? amen? So Crazy Frank. I read a story about Crazy Frank. There was a lady that was, this is supposed to be a true story. There's a lady that was looking for carpet. She's going to re-carpet her house. So she heard about Crazy Frank's place. Crazy Frank had the most ridiculous prices for carpet, high-quality carpet. The best you could, you couldn't, Unheard of deals. So she started trying to look up Crazy Frank's phone number, tried to find him on the internet. Mm -mm, nowhere to be found. Uh, she asked around. It's like, oh, no, he doesn't have a phone. Mm -mm. Well, what's his address? I don't know what his address is. I don't even know if he has an address. You just head out of town, and you drive a ways, and you'll see across this old building. It's just got carpet just stacked in it. So the lady did. She drove out there and she goes in and this guy was the rudest, most obnoxious person you can imagine and here he's supposed to be servicing customers. While she was in there, she heard him run off somebody for asking a stupid question. But she bought her carpet and as she had heard, it was the best price you could imagine and it was the highest quality you could get. So she got it, but her ears weren't tickled. <laughs> while she was trying to do it, right? So I think um, that uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, well, faith is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You had to seek out crazy Frank. God had been silent for 400 years when John the Baptist came along and He didn't have an address or a phone number. You had to go way out of your way to find him out in the country. He was wearing camel skins and foraging on the land. And his message was a difficult message. He called the religious people a brood of vipers, a den of snakes. Repent. I mean, it was a, it's a, it's a, after 400 years, God's going to talk. And this is what he says, <laughs> repent, you're a brood of vipers. And I realize that as I've talked through this today, that um, I may have stepped on some people's feet. I may have said some things that might have offended you, but I've done it out of love, and I've done it because I felt that was a message that the Lord gave me to deliver. Um, you know, Jesus is seeking you. The scripture says we're to seek him, 
and we are, but he's seeking you. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost. Matthew 18.12 says, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? Absolutely, he does. Without question, he does. The Lord is searching for all of us. He's searching for our hearts. And for us to try and hide from him is foolish. And for us to try and hide things from him that he wants to take from us for our betterment is foolish. Would you agree with that? I want to talk about one more game. And Matt, if you guys will come up while I'm going to talk about this last game. The broom game. The broom game is not near as complicated as the fire fire game. So all, all I really need is a broom, right? And it's a simple game. Uh, you guys can go ahead and start playing if you want. It's a simple game. Um, you turn out all the lights in the house. Then the kids go hide, and then I take a broom, and I go looking for them. And if they can get to the base, usually the couch in the living room, before I find them and spank them with the broom, then uh, they're, they're free, right? And spank is just like this, right? So uh, it's, uh, I, 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 I'll confess and ask for forgiveness. I went too far at times. I scared them too bad. To this day, Taylor, who's sitting up here, if she's in a room at my house, like the living room, and I'm in my bedroom, I have to say, Taylor, I'm about to come in there. Because <laughs> I walk, <laughs> even though she knows I'm coming. And I'm convinced it's a broom game that did it to her. But all that to say, the analogy of this broom game is, I want to apply that to what I just went over with you. And that is the Lord is seeking you. He's seeking all of you. He's seeking your heart. And He wants anything from you that is separating you from Him. All you have to do is just be open to allow Him to do a work in you. When you open up to Him and He'll come in there with His broom and he'll say, hmm, what you got there? You know what? You've got 100% of all your money. That's where your heart is at. Would you give me some of that? Not that I need it, but I do want your heart. Would you give me a little bit of that? Or, whoa, what is that over there? That's, you're hiding your talents. Are you going to use it? Let me use, let me use just a little bit of your talent. Would you serve me and let me use a little bit of your talent? Whoa, what is, what is that bitterness you have there? Would you give me that bitterness? Would you let me? Come on, let me have it. Let me have it. There, don't, don't you feel relieved? I've taken your bitterness away. And then it's like, oh, what, what is under there? What is, Oh, in the dark corner of it, there's your secret sin. Ah, I see it. I have it. Will you give me that? 
Will you give me that secret, Sarah? Would you let me have that? And before you know it, he's just taking it all away from you. And you're restored with him. Your house is clean. Wouldn't you want to have a clean house? Are you tired of hiding? Do you want to see what God has for you? I'm coming back to